Welcome to the BCP and Me, the podcast that explores the Book of Common Prayer as a manual for living out our lives. I am joined here today, as is our custom, with Father Joshua Nelson as we continue our journey through the Book of Common Prayer and as we continue our discussion today on holy baptism. Good morning, Father Joshua. Good morning, Father Tyler. How are you? Doing well. I, I find myself in the midst of, of a season of temptation and a season of, of ongoing, just an ongoing uh, trial for my soul right now in the, in the life of, in my life of faith, but also in the life of the church. Um, please, please keep my congregation in your thoughts and prayers as I reach over and fumble with the wrapper. Yes, yes. Friends, if you haven't if you haven't heard yet, the dealers are already moving through your congregation. Their little faces may look sweet and innocent, but the horde of Girl Scouts is upon you. It is cookie season. They don't even have the decency until wait till Lent is over. Well, Father Joshua, I confess to you and to all of God's church that I have sinned most grievously, and my sin is ever before me. Uh, currently, my sin looks like a tube of Thin Mints. Uh, and, and this is why we say, when you fall into sin. <laughs> and as I look, if I look, if I look below my desk, there's actually a package of lemonades that I have already ravaged. Though um, so I didn't open these. Somebody came into my office and opened my lemonades. So at least I didn't eat the whole box of these. The, the Caramel Delights. My sin is ever before me. In any case. <laughs> well, good thing that baptism is insoluble. Oh, Nothing, God. not even thin mints can separate us from the love of God. <laughs> well, they put up a pretty good fight. I'll say they that. <laughs> they do. So, anyway, uh, before we end up in heresies uh, or end up in a different conversation altogether. Maybe we should dive back into baptism where at least the waters are safe. Um, yes. Or we'll need a bigger boat. So last time we worked all our way through uh, holy baptism up until the point for the prayers for the candidates. And at this point, the people who have been presented for baptism have been duly examined. Well, they've been duly presented. They've been duly examined um, and have made the appropriate commitments. The congregation has pledged to be with those people in their commitments and to do all their power to support them in their life in Christ. We have renewed our baptismal covenant, and it, it is at this point that we offer prayers for the candidates. And I will say this just again is another reason why baptism is not a private sacrament we it used to be uh, prior to 1979 it was common practice that the family you know the parents the godparents and the child would all come uh to the church like some saturday morning with the priest and would have the service of baptism <clears throat> post 1979 when we revised the prayer book and buffed up uh baptism i should say uh it is meant to be a public sacrament. 
because everyone makes the commitment, the community makes the commitment to help raise this person in the faith. And we have the prayers for the candidates where everyone is entering into prayer for these persons. Sorry, I simultaneously have images of Marion Hatchett being both Franz and Hans from Saturday Night Live. So <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So pick whichever image you want to go with. We come to pump up the baptism. Um, Arnold Baptizenegger. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. Um, it's just another one of those reminders, I think, that baptism is one, not for the faint of heart. Two, it's not just some casual thing that we just do. But three, it is not something that we do on our own. You know, not only do we have this, this moment where we have these people that are pledging to support, we are supposed to have um, entire congregations present to do these baptisms because it takes the whole community of believers to make a Christian and for a person to be a Christian. So um, that is... It takes a village to raise a child. Uh, it takes a community to raise each other, in mm -hmm. all honesty. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and that brings, up, that brings up an interesting wrinkle in, in baptisms that uh, I think we should save for the end. But yeah, about, about how baptisms happen. And um, <clears throat> I think during covid we saw a little bit of a resurgence of, of the practice of private baptism um, because people wanted to get baptized and it wasn't safe for the entire church to gather. Um, I, th I think there are times when, when we have to rely on the quorum of God's people being present um, to be sufficient to do these sacraments, but I don't think it should become the norm. No, I, I, I don't think, you know, when, when necessary, well, let's just talk about it instead of putting it off until the end and keeping people in suspense. There are times when baptisms have to be done in cases of emergency. You know, there are times when you, you're called into the hospital and somebody needs to be baptized and it's a grave situation. And, you know, the prayer book allows for us to do things called um, emergency baptisms where any baptized person can pour water over the head of someone and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But even then, the normative practice is, is for that person to then go and tell the parish priest, hey, I had to, I had to baptize, you know, Jeff on an emergency basis. We need to get him in here and, and have the celebration and have everything else that is included in this rite, but just so that everybody knows. I did this emergency baptism. Mm -hmm. um, they still need the support of the congregation. They still need the support of the prayers of, of the faithful. Um, but there are cases where that does happen. And looking at COVID, this could also be expanded into the greater life of the church. You know, there were, there's emergency situations that uh, we had to close public gatherings and we went to online worship and, we're now coming out of that into another stage of new normal um, where many of us are, are keeping our online uh, offerings, but it is still important because we are a faith of community that from time to time in regular intervals, at least the people of God need to be together. It's important for people to be together. Yeah. So before we get too far afield, 
Um, uh, let us let us now pray for these persons who are to receive the sacrament of new birth. And a person appointed leads the following petitions. We're on page 305 in the Book of Common Prayer for those of you that are following along at home. Deliver them, O Lord, from the way of sin and death. Lord, hear our prayer. Open their hearts to your grace and truth. Lord, hear our prayer. Fill them with your holy and life-giving spirit. Lord, hear our prayer. Keep them in the faith and communion of your holy church. Lord, hear our prayer. Can we pause there and break those down a bit? They, in some ways, go together. Okay. Deliver them, O Lord, from the way of sin and death. <clears throat> um, I think, one, this, this keeps us from the, it, it really does kind of, speak against this idea of original sin mm. uh, because it is the way of sin and death. It is, it is something that you walk in and, and can be guided in um, and can, can fall back onto that path mm -hmm. quite easily. Mm -hmm. um, it is, and this does not, you know, take away that idea that you can fall back into sin. Um, but it's deliver them, O oh Lord, from the way of sin and death. Show us a better way, Lord. Keep us um, from that temptation because we know that it's going, to, it's going to be difficult. Well, and, and with that is, is the acknowledgement of our own tendency, as you were saying, to fall back into it. You know, it's, it's one of the reasons why the baptismal covenant is so adamant that we that we acknowledge that we're going to fall back into sin. Um, but that when we see what we've done, we go, oh, wait, nope, this is not what I want to do and then come back. But it's even like that. That collect um, in morning prayer. Um, taking us back to the first episode or close to the first some of the first episodes. Um, it's from the daily devotions is what I was thinking of. Um, okay. Lord God, almighty and everlasting father, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin, nor be overcome by adversity. And in all we do direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So this baptism brings us into this life of prayer where we're constantly throwing ourselves into the arms of God so that God is constantly preserving us from the powers of, of sin and death daily, daily, hourly, hourly. Um, this is just sort of one of the first steps down the path that we're even here at the beginning, we're saying, you know, God, you got to help me out here. And we have the next part, open their hearts to your grace and truth. And, and this is one of those ways that we see the right path, right? Correct. Mm. Um, when you open your heart to grace, I think that that's one of those really hard things. Mm. 
Um, we, as we say, are our own worst critics. Um, we will, when we fall into sin, we will beat ourselves up. But the truth is that there is grace and love sufficient for us. Right. And uh, we have to be open to it, to recognize it. Um, not that when we don't recognize it, that it's not there. The grace is always there. God is always there and willing to love, um, willing to welcome us and embrace us. Um, but the problem comes when we close off our hearts, when we uh, close the door and don't want to see it and don't want to accept it because we blame ourselves. Mm -hmm. or we don't think that we are worthy. This kind of takes us back into uh, C.S. Lewis into Narnia and the last battle. Um, when the dwarves are given this great banquet before them by Aslan, but they refuse to see it. They refuse to go into Aslan's land and they believe that they are wallowing in, um, in refuse and eating straw because they're unwilling to open their hearts to what has been the grace that has been given them. And this, this prayer also has within it um, a warning against a trap that we lay for ourselves, which is our own pride. Yes. The fact that we think that we, again, it's like this constant warning against, against trying to do it on our own, you know, that, that we, we need to open our hearts to God's grace and God's truth. It's not just about being ready to accept the unmitigated love and the unmerited love of God. It's also being willing to be led in the ways of God. You know, that we're constant, all of us are constantly being called into this, this way that reminds us that we need to amend our lives and amend our hearts and try to stay within the midst of God's law. Um, but we have to be open to that and realize that we need God to help us do that thing that God wants us to do, which leads really nicely into the next one. Yes, it does. Which also I think uh, rolls back to the, to the deliverance um, prayer as well. Fill them with your holy and life giving spirit. It's the opposite of the way of sin and death. That's one of the profound things about Christianity is that, Christianity is not some passive acceptance of death. Christianity is actively warring against death. Um, and that's, that's one of the messages of the resurrection is that Jesus didn't just acquiesce to the experience of death and decided to have a lie down for three days. That in those three days that Jesus was actively warring against sin, hell, death, and the grave and conquered all of it. And so not only are we being delivered from the way of sin and death, we're actually being given the elixir of life, if you will, mm -hmm. that raises us up not just to life, but to new life, to restored life, resurrected life, abundant life, abundant life, and, and being filled with that holy and life-giving spirit opens our hearts to seeing that God is, is trying to communicate with us. It, it's like that, it's gotta be like that moment from finding Nemo, 
you know, where we have these moments where these waves of grace are buffeting us and we're going, what's going on? And we have this moment where it's like, it's like God is trying to speak to me. I know it, <laughs> but we just can't see it. Yes. <laughs> and without, without the, without the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, sort of being that advocate, being that go-between, um, I'm not sure that we could ever get it. In fact, kind of like the people of Israel in the Old Testament, I don't even think that we could stand to hear the voice of God speaking to us. Yeah. And that leads nicely into the next one. Keep them in the faith and communion of your holy church. The communion aspect. The community aspect. Mm. We, we recognize God and we hear God's voice in the community because I think we can't handle it by ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, or uh, we're unwilling to accept it by ourselves. Sometimes it takes that other person to say, you know what, I see this actively happening in your life mm. because we can't recognize it. Well, and we also need, we need the presence of the other faithful people because we don't do anything as Lone Rangers in the Episcopal Church. <laughs> We don't we don't come to the we don't come to the communion rail on our own. We don't come to baptism on our own. We don't go to Bible study on our own. We don't put on potlucks on our own. That would be a very boring affair. We're doing everything together and we're all spoiler alert, we're all supposed to be listening for the voice of God so that we can help each other to be aware of it. Mm -hmm. And being in the communion of the holy church is about taking our place inside of that church and saying, I'm going to help folks listen for God too. And doing exactly what you're saying, Father Joshua, is, is pointing out to people, I can see God doing this in your life. What do you think about that? And then we also have those people that we can go to and say, hey, I'm going through some stuff right now. And I remember you sharing one time at a potluck that you went through some stuff too. How did you get through it? Right. This is how God brought me through it. So let me help you. It was, it was one of my mentors somewhere down through the years. God knows there's been a whole cavalcade of people that have been with me to get to this point. Um, that they put it like this, that, that part of our faith as Christians is being like blind beggars that are telling other blind beggars where to find food. Mm. That we're constantly pointing each other towards God's grace um, when we find it. Um, and it's always been a really powerful reminder for me that, that I need to depend upon, I need to depend upon the kindness of strangers. Uh, <laughs> Uh, to help me get through and not just strangers, but my sisters and brothers in the faith. Mm -hmm. And then we have three more petitions. Teach them to love others in the power of the spirit. Lord, hear our prayer. Send them into the world in witness to your love. Lord, hear our prayer. Bring them to the fullness of your peace and glory. Lord, hear our prayer. 
Teach them to love others and the power of your spirit ties directly into the communion of your holy church. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> you know, <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. Don't worry, it's easy. It's not what Jesus ever said. No. <laughs> um, sometimes it's, it's a downright full-on pain in the neck thing to do is is to love others as ourselves there there is a reason there is a reason that particularly in judaism you recite those commandments daily right love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself you have to be constantly reminded of it because it's difficult well and in the Shema, uh, which I preached on a little bit this morning, the first words of that are, hear, O Israel. H-E-A-R, hear. Hear, hear, hear. I, Appalachian, we can't say it. No. Um, but, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not this sort of passive um, suggestion that you, that you, Maybe Turn your ear. that you maybe catch catch the dwindling notes of the symphony of God's love. It's like, hey, Israel, sit sit down, shut up, pay attention. This is where everything starts. Um, and uh, and loving, you know, you shall have one God. The Lord, or hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord, our God is one. And, and reminding ourselves of the dependence of ourselves on God, but also to remember that loving our neighbors as ourselves is one of the deep um, currents that run through the entirety of the law that, that, and it's, and this is one of my talking points, and this is one of my soapbox topics. It's not warm, fuzzy love, folks. It's not Russell Stover's samplers. It is not going and blowing $85 at Godiva. Not that I've ever done that. Not that I don't recommend you do that from time to time. Everybody needs chocolate in their lives. It's not little naked angel babies kind of love. It is, it is the hard love that shows up when the chips are down, when things are really tough, when we're mired up to our necks and we just need somebody to stand with us. It's about faithfulness. It's about mm -hmm. being able to put aside our petty differences and saying, you are my sibling and I am going to be with you through the crap, wherever that takes us. Here endeth the sermon, but... <laughs> Well, and let's continue. Send them into the world in witness to your love. To play that symphony so that others may hear it. Yeah, witnessing is not just about watching. Mm -mm. In witness also means that you're speaking out about it. Um. There's a reason we get the, you know, let those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Uh, in the Episcopal Church, we have fallen into this bad habit of uh, only witnessing by action 
And sometimes, a lot of the time, it takes words. Can we? Because, because there is a difference. You know, you can do charitable acts and you can serve at a soup kitchen and not be doing it because you love God and see God in others. And that's, I think, where the difference is. And that's what needs to be shared. <clears throat> well, and the other, in sort of leaning more into that, you know, this, this adoption of, of, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words as our constant clarion call y'all saint francis didn't say that it's been mm -hmm. attributed to saint francis but there's no evidence to support that saint francis ever said that thing and of course it is it is necessary to demonstrate the love of god of course of course i'm not trying to assuage anybody from you know demonstrating love of the love of god but in order for it to be effective, people have to know that it is the love of God that you're demonstrating and not just some casual kind act that you're doing. Yes. I'm doing this because of the love of Christ that is filling my heart. And I would love for you to know more about this Jesus that I serve. Now, what I'm talking about, this is where we, this is where we lower the mic and we whisper gently into the microphone. And we become very NPR. Become very NPR. This is Terry Groats talking to you now. Pull your car off of the off to the median here because I'm going to say a word to you that might be frightening from some of your ears. So let's all take a deep breath and blow it out as we say the word evangelism. Oh God, how many Episcopalians just had a heart attack to hear that word come out of their speakers? Evangelism is not a four-letter word. In fact, there's a lot more than four, four letters in, in evangelism. But evangelism is about sharing this grace-filled love of God. It doesn't mean accosting somebody with the prayer book. Does it, um, mean, it doesn't mean passing out tracts willy-nilly. It, it, it means actually speaking to the love of God that exists within our lives and how that makes a difference. That is being sent forth into the world and witness to the love of God. Um, now, Father, this, this would seem to suggest that that is not the job of the priest. Gasp and shock and alarm. <laughs> uh, no, no, my friends, as, as we are all baptized into Christ, we all have our work to do and we often forget that in in the grand scheme of the church it is the lay folks that are the chief order of ministers inside of the church i heard it put beautifully yesterday it was uh shepherds do not make sheep sheep make sheep right um and so you know the, the role of the priest is 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 to be here to support the people in the work that they are doing in their ongoing life of faith that they're trying to live out, but also in the pursuit of bringing in the harvest, of bringing folks into this faith. And I realize that there is a slight evangelical bent to this in the truest sense of the word evangelism. For all of my ex-evangelicals that may be listening to this, don't think that we're diving off into the deep end of evangelicalism. No, we are just going Greek. We're just Evangelion. going Evangelion. 
Yeah, Evangelion, which is the good news. And to a, a bringer of good news. Our, our faith is about is about bringing people in through the waters of baptism. Um, come on in, y'all. The water's fine. Um, and telling it's, people about the Episcopal more than a cliche. <laughs> telling people about the Episcopal Church and what it means to you, and more than that, more even more important than the Episcopal Church. Did I just say that? Is about the difference that the love of God makes in your life and bringing people in. Uh, so you don't have to go upside their head with a King James Bible. You don't have to go upside their head with a book of common prayer, but it is important that we do give voice to the faith that lives within us with our actual voices and not just chintzy metaphors that come from somewhere in the last 2,000 years of, of church tradition that try to get us off the hook of actually doing the work of talking about the faith that lives within us. We, we have been blessed that in the last few decades, the cultural, true cultural Christendom has died. Mm. Where it was just, you know, everything was closed on Sunday morning. It was assumed you go to church. Uh, that's where the business of community happened. That's not true anymore. And thanks be to God, it isn't. But, but Father Joshua, the... The church is dying, and and our institutions aren't what they used to be, and 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 shouldn't we all be freaking out about that? I would say, are you a people of death or a people of resurrection, which comes with death? You all, excuse me for just a moment. Father Joshua has dropped his microphone, and I'm going to have to go all the way to Gallup. Go pick it up. <laughs> Which all of this conversation leads us into the last petition that is in these prayers, where we pray, bring them to the fullness of your peace and glory. Which is just, is a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. When I was, when I was coming up in the denomination that I was reared up in, one of the things that we got taught was, is that you need to save as many souls as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And you got a t-shirt if you reached a certain tally. Right. Um, I never got a t-shirt, um, but in any <laughs> case, um, and I was, I was constantly hounded at how many people have you saved? How many people have you saved? You know, I never saved anybody and, no, and neither has anybody else for that matter. Mm-hmm. Except for except for Jesus Christ. Jesus. Our our job is to present the gospel and 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 let the Holy Spirit do her work, let the Holy Spirit do its work, whichever pronouns you want to give to the Holy Spirit. Um Sophie doesn't mind. And to let to let God do God's work to bring people into this peace, to bring people into the glory of, of, of Christ. Um, it's not about going out there and us saving souls. You can't save souls, folks. It's, it's not your job. No, it's, it's already been done. You don't have to worry about it. So, I mean, <laughs> pack that up and go home in that sense. Your work is not done. Your work is this is moving toward 
abundance, joy, love, the fullness of peace and the glory of God, the glory of God that is a human being fully alive, who they are meant to be. The celebrant then closes. Grant, O Lord, that all who are baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, your son, may live in the power of his resurrection and look for him to come again in glory, who lives and reigns now and forever. Amen. Yeah, it's not just about being baptized into the death. It's also being baptized into the power of the resurrection. Um, there is life outside the tomb, folks. There is a life of abundance and a life of fullness that we are called into as the people of God set loose on the world. Why don't we want to share that with other people? I leave you with that question as we move into Thanksgiving over the water. Now, I love this prayer. This is one of the most elemental, powerful spirit-filled prayers in all of the prayer book the people of god gather around the font and we begin the prayer the way that we always begin prayers of blessing the lord be with you and also with you let us give thanks to the lord our god it is right to give him thanks and praise as your deacon lifts up the ewer of water as the priest lifts up the ewer of water and the water begins to pour into the font so that it's making lots of noise, making, lots, making of noise. lots of noise. The celebrant begins to pray. We thank you, almighty God, for the gift of water. Over it, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation. Through it, you led the children of Israel out of their bondage into the land of promise. In it, your son, Jesus, received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah the Christ, to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. And we're going to stop right there. <laughs> that first paragraph is so packed. It is so packed with so much. We're giving God, we give, we give thanks to you, almighty God, for the gift of water, which has been there since the beginning, just like God has been there from the beginning. This beautiful and image of the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the waters of chaos in the beginning of all things. If that doesn't just make the hairs on the back of your neck stand straight up and shout glory. And I will say from the beginning of our church, and I'm not talking about 1789, I'm talking about 33 whatever you want to claim baptism is in living water it doesn't mean it has microbes and stuff in it that means it is moving water mm. is active there are ancient churches in israel in caves that have platforms uh that come down to the font that you would start at the top and you would begin pouring the water and it would cascade down. So one, you hear the water moving and it's like it's clapping, right? Let the waters clap their praise. And it reminds us of that hovering, brooding spirit 
as almost almost like almost like a hen wants to to bring in her chicks or as as a great bird flaps its wings over the water if you've ever been to a lake or something and you watch the geese or the ducks fly in and as they come in the water begins to vibrate it is living water and from the beginning god has been present there hovering over moving the waters vibrating the waters and then we move into the second or the third sentence of this prayer <laughs> we'll it, get there eventually <laughs> we'll get there eventually uh we've got all season through it you led the children of israel out of their bondage in egypt into the land of promise you know, so often we come to that story in the Exodus and, and we hear the voice of Charleston Heston, you know, behold his mighty hand. And we see ancient Hollywood special effects and we go, wow, that's really cool. Or if you prefer the voice of Val Kilmer in The Prince of Egypt, you know, splitting the waters and, and all of that animatic glory, we miss the fact that it's through the waters that they pass. <laughs> yes. That God is, that, that the king of all creation is there making a path out of an old life, a life of bondage, a life of suffering, a life of slavery, through elemental force. Through chaos. Through chaos. Through, and not just chaos, chaos, death mystery it's kind of like the hobbits people stayed out of boats by and large especially near large bodies of water because sometimes people get into boats and they don't come back mm -hmm. um we still we know more about outer space than we do what is at the bottom of our own oceans um it is still such a mystery and so God comes in and goes, hey, let's clear this up. I'm king of all creation, and then splits the water. And the people of Israel walk through, not, not on muddy tracks, but on dry land. The people of Israel make their way through, through across the seabed that is dry land. And, and that's one of those, that's one of those little bitty minute details that is in the reading that that so many people just read that and go and they came through on dry land oh cool <laughs> but it is so significant that god literally makes a path through the waters and it's through those waters that we're led into a new life that god is leading us to of abundance and of of a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, so um, the literary nerd is freaking out because it's not just that God parted the waters. God parted the waters. He dried the land and said, there's the road, go walk it. I'll be, yeah. I'll be with you through the waters, but also on the other side. Yeah. I'm in front of you and I'm right behind you. Don't worry, we got you. Sentence four. <laughs> In it, your son, Jesus, received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, the Christ. 
to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. It's so Tyler's mind is is exploding. I mean, it is so profound that that moment of Jesus's baptism in the river Jordan is we forget everything that is going on inside of that moment. It's not just, it's not just, Yeshua walking down to the riverside. I'm sure there were plenty of Yeshuas that walked down to the riverside that day and passed mm-hmm. through the waters of the baptism of that John was offering. I'm sure you couldn't have thrown a rock and hit a dozen Yeshuas. There were tons of people out there responding to John's call. This Yeshua was the literal embodied incarnate God almighty. The ruler ruler of all creation who stepped into the waters to go beneath the waters. And it's, it's not mentioned in the, in the collect here, but in the text of the, of the gospel, the heavens were opened where we look back into Exodus and we have this mirror. So the waters were parted, the waters were opened, and hearing the baptism of the anointed one, the heavens themselves were split open. And the spirit came down as a dove and the voice of one called out and said, behold, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. A statement that then echoes for all of us. Who pass through the waters of baptism. Yes. Jesus doesn't go into the river that day because he needs to repent of his sins. And Jesus doesn't go into the river that day because he needs to amend his wicked life. Jesus entering into the waters of baptism. There's even that little vignette where John is like, yo, cuz, what are we doing? You should be baptizing me. And Jesus is literally, literally says to him, let it be this way to fulfill all righteousness. And he submits to the baptism of John because it is God throwing in God's lot with ours. Yes. It is God literally sending up the biggest flare possible saying, hey, folks, I'm on your side. I'm going to go through what you're going through. Literally, I am going to go through what you go through. And I'm going to be with you in all of it. And then the voice of heaven rings out. This is my son, the beloved in whom I am well pleased. It's it's just this powerful moment of God closing a gap. God continually closing that gap and saying, I am coming to my people. Mm-hmm. Ah, just lose my mind. Because it's always God coming to us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's always God's everlasting grace reaching out to God's people and calling us home through the law, through the prophets, and then through the Messiah. We thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection. 
Through it, we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in joyful obedience to your Son, we bring into his fellowship those who come in faith to him in faith, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We go through the whole story of Easter and the Great Commission in this one paragraph. <laughs> I don't know that you can say anything more than has already been said here. I mean, so much of what we've we've talked about is is restated in that paragraph. Everything that we've been talking about, that the whole point of the Christian life leads to this, this another acknowledgement of what Christianity is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, that not only are we buried with Christ, we're raised in his resurrection, we're reborn in the Holy Spirit, and then we bring others into the water with us. In joyful obedience. Joyful. Um, Again, come in. The water's fine. And then we ask God to sanctify the water. Now we sa- now sanctify this water, we pray you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that those who here are cleansed from sin and born again may continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory now and forever. Amen. You know, there's the old joke that says, how do you make holy water? You boil the hell out of it. Folks, this is how you actually do it. It's, it's not us. We pray that God comes down um, as promised and the spirit sanctifies the water. I can't, I can't count the number of times at seminary at Swanee when I would come in to Chapel of the Apostles running just a tad late for morning prayer. Uh, and the sacristan seems like it was always our our um, good friend Tom Early that was standing there holding the stole, waiting for Mother Julia to walk in. It always seems like it happened this way for me, waiting to bless that that baptismal cauldron. It wasn't a fawn; it was just this great big kettle bowl filled with water waiting for one of the professors to come in and and bless the water and just seeing this moment where mother julia would would come into the chapel and she would kiss the stole and put it around her neck and would pause just a moment at the font now sanctify this water we pray you and the ripples would go out and would just reverberate around the font and those are the waters that, as we came, would come into Coda, we would all stop and make the sign of the cross as a reminder of what it is that we've promised to do. And, and that's, by the way, that is the, that is the reason why you see people dipping their fingers in holy water and making the sign of the cross, is because it is reminding folks what it is that we have signed up for in our baptism. And not even reminding others, reminding ourselves that that through the waters of baptism we've we've promised to do a lot of things and this is our reminder of what we've promised to do but also our reminder of what god has also promised to do and what who god has promised to be to us yeah again and there was one time i remember coming in and it had been filled up just a little too much um but you touch it and it would ripple and 
and spill over the edges. Um, and there was a part of me that went, that's what it's supposed to do. That's the waters of baptism. We can't contain them. We can't contain our baptism. Something That's the evangelism side. It spills out. Something about a spring of water that will well up with inside of us to everlasting life. Yes. Yes. Mic drop. <laughs> Sir, give me this water always, the Samaritan woman says. And once again, this is where we leave you to consider everything that we've talked about and to con- and for you to consider and for all of us to consider how deep the waters of baptism go. And our candidate hasn't even had one drop of water land on their head yet. And there is still more here to discuss. We have to talk about the consecration of chrism and what chrism is for and why chrism is We have to talk about what's happening when the water actually lands on the head of the person who is being baptized, if that's something that we can even do. We have to talk about what happens after the person is baptized, after the water has washed over them, and what it is that they have been washed downstream into as their new life in Christ. There's so much more left to talk about. And there's only a page and a half of text left, but that conversation will probably take us another hour to get through. And we (laughs) want to give every part of this right it's due. Father Joshua is struggling to be heard on the other side of the screen. (laughs) I would just say, go in peace. We'll see you next time. It's a good way to end. Thank you for joining us on the BCP and me for another episode around Holy Baptism. Next time, we will finish up this conversation and we'll set our sights towards what is to follow.